0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.
1: What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue. Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator is always is michael borky we appreciate you hanging out with us on this monday january 27th edition of the rebel report podcast uh, a lot to get into obviously kind of a uh, somber into the weekend yesterday we'll get into the kobe bryant news Ole Miss did get its first sec win of the uh 2020 season on saturday at georgia played pretty well we'll get into that some too Maybe some baseball, but uh, given the news over the weekend, probably pushing most of that to Wednesday. But uh, what's up,
0: man? Not a whole lot. It was um, it was kind of a strange day yesterday. So I, I was in uh, an NBA arena, and um, it just a an, a unique. I don't know if that's the best word to describe it, but but a very. Oh yeah, um,
1: you were at the Celtics uh, uh, Pelicans game yesterday. I uh, did. Uh, I totally forgot about that,
0: Explain away. Yeah, so um, basically the the crowd itself, the atmosphere was a little subdued uh, compared to what you expect. But once the game actually started, that went away. But for some reason, and maybe I'm misreading the entire thing, but it felt like it took the players a while to get going. I mean, even after made baskets and stuff early in the game, it seemed like they didn't really care um, because Kobe Bryant, I think Lonzo Ball said it after the game, was their generation's Jordan. So you know, people my age and older grew up on Jordan. And even I'm still too young to really grasp how good he was. I got to see Jordan play and I got like I was five or six or seven uh, when he won his last championship. But I I do remember him playing the tail end of his career, playing with the Wizards and stuff. So people older than me grew up on Jordan. But this generation, the 19 to 30-year-olds, give or take, Kobe was their Jordan. And these are a bunch of NBA players. I mean, multiple of them on the court played for the Lakers. I think J.J. Redick was a teammate of his at some point on an Olympic team. And... You could see that they their minds were elsewhere. And so the energy in the arena was was um, different than usual because of what had happened. And you could see it on their faces, in their body language at first, that it, it took them a while to stop thinking about it and, and play basketball. And the game, I mean, they played actually really well. But it took them a while to have energy within the basketball game. And especially, and I know every uh, every game did this, but the, uh, the Pels won the opening tip and Monzo held the ball for 24 seconds. And then Kemba Walker held the ball for 24 seconds. And uh, I wasn't a Laker fan and I don't usually get emotional during things like this. And I, I didn't. I didn't cry or anything, but for some reason, that moment in particular was very, very emotional. And I've never really been that type uh, to get that way. But it was something about seeing these guys that idolized this dude that probably just every single day growing up, becoming a basketball player, thought about him and trained like him. And a lot of them knew him personally personally. Uh, especially the ones that played for the Lakers or was on his team um you, you could feel their emotion and and so it, like it kind of, that's what really got to me is seeing them all just stand around with their heads down as 24 seconds went away um you could feel it i mean you could feel their emotion from the stands and feel the impact that it had it was um uh, just a, a sad somber uh, Atmosphere, and you could feel the impact that he had on the players just by watching their body language. It was a uh, people were talking about canceling the games, and maybe, especially the early ones, maybe they should have. But um, that was something yesterday, it's hard to describe.
1: Yeah, where were you when you got the news? Because I was uh, I in the was in car my- on the way down. So, what, y'all left around, uh, what time, that game was at 5? What time did y'all leave yesterday?
0: We got a late start, so we left, uh, like, at 11. Yeah, I know they were
1: mulling the idea of canceling the games. Like, to, like I, I imagine you had to be, like, monitoring that.
0: Yeah, I was. Um, and the Pels coached after the game said that it wasn't even a consideration. It, it may be for their game, but they absolutely were considering and even planning on canceling games yesterday. Uh, I guess it, it never went down to the, the 5 o'clock one um, uh, for them to, to cons- consider doing that. And once – this is going to sound bad, but once the game got going a little bit, you could tell they kind of put it behind them and, and started playing. And, and, you know, they, they had emotion and, and whatnot. So it once they settled in, it seemed like they they handled it okay. But at first, um, their minds were elsewhere you could tell. I mean, you, you could really – feel that they didn't want to play. But if you're the NBA, what do you do? I mean, if they had have canceled all the games yesterday, I believe everybody would have been okay with it. But if you're the league, I mean, what do you do? Do you really cancel all of the games yesterday? Do you let them play? Because Carmelo Anthony, who obviously knew him, um, after their game yesterday said he would have wanted us to play. So, I mean, you probably would have had pushback from the other side as – hey yeah i mean it's a he, no wa- he would have wanted us to play these games today so i i don't know i i imagine that went into the decision but
1: yeah it seemed like though most of the people upset i mean obviously there were some players kind of I, I did read some comments for like i'm not even sure how we're supposed to get ready for this game i think damian Lillard said that but like it seemed like most of the actual like anger from people about them playing the games weren't actually nba players oddly enough but yeah it was it was shocking like i i was uh i didn't really do a whole lot yesterday but i was on my couch at like i guess around our time i guess it was like one or so somewhere around there when uh, when i saw it like flashed across tmz and it's one of those things where you immediately like uh like, this is a hoax And then i clicked on it and i was like no this is tmz like something's up here and then i uh, It was, I mean, I was just kind of like anyone else just being like, no, there's no way like this, that something has to be wrong here. And then it was a, uh, as, as sad of a day as it was yesterday, it was also a pretty, uh, pretty rough day for the journalism industry, uh, on a number of fronts in terms of just like what was reported when it was reported and how, but I, yeah, I mean, I was just taken aback. Like I've, I've like, I've been pretty consistent. I've, didn't really start like actually watching and liking the NBA, like I guess following it closely until like the last half decade. But like any other normal kid, I uh, I mean, I grew up with Kobe Bryant and watching those Lakers teams and all of that. And so it was it was shocking. And it was like you could feel like I, I don't know, like when like when stuff like that happens, it feels like the uh, like sometimes the entire country you can just kind of feel like it got punched in the gut, like you can feel. You know people you don't know other people around you just kind of at a loss for words, but like I kind of showed it to one of my roommates, and then they're like, "No, nah, no way, and then we turned on the t v and it kind of took a while for it to actually hit mainstream news outlets like it it was like good thirty minutes past, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit before it even got on e s p n radar, which is probably in hindsight them just being responsible and trying to get it right before you know, putting stuff out there. But yeah, I was, uh, I was dumbfounded. I was like, there's no way like, like this is, this seems impossible. But I mean, obviously it it was very real and it, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just kind of inexplicable. And then, you know, seeing all the tributes yesterday and all that was, was was cool, but I I can't imagine how hard it was playing a game and seeing Doc Rivers and all of them choke up and all, all of that. It was, it was rough. Like, it, I mean, it's one of those things where it still doesn't really seem completely real. Like, it, it just did, it, it, like, how that guy's life ends that way. And, like, I say career, his basketball career was over. But, I mean, how the guy was outside of basketball for, like, a year and a half and won an Oscar. Like, it seemed like he was on his way to doing a lot more things. And just to have it in like that is is, is pretty brutal. I, As far as, like, what actually happened, the only place I've seen that actually detailed anything like closely, what happened with the crash, was TMZ. And apparently the helicopter was just dealing with very heavy fog, and he, the, like they were on the way to wherever they were going for that basketball game, and they just started circling because they couldn't see very well. And then I guess that seemed to get pretty unclear as well. And instead of veering one direction, he veered the other, which was actually towards mountains, which seemingly ending, ended up being kind of the— what did them in as far as like the aircraft, but just just brutal. Like I, I uh I don't know. I was having I mean I, there's not anything else I can add that, you know, people didn't already add yesterday or I'm not gonna be able to say anything like more profound than anyone else, but just a terribly sad day. Like I just I don't know. It seems completely unbelievable. It still doesn't exactly feel completely real to me either.
0: No. especially in the manner in which it happened as you mentioned. It's just not something you hear. Very often. So when the, the news first broke, you thought, wait, what? A helicopter crash? This may. Because uh, this is going to probably sound stupid, but the Chicago Bears' social media accounts got hacked on Sunday. And uh, my first thought was, well, TMZ got hacked too. Because that that's just, you know, it, uh, unexpected, but also kind of random. Um, But then it became obviously that it was real. When, when Woj confirmed it, that's, you know, that's how you know it's it's really real, even though TMZ does pay for that kind of information. It does. It shows you the fragility of life. Um, and that's why I see you. Anytime something like this happens, you see people go on the other side of, well, why do we care so much? Uh, you know, he had the scandal or Oh, he's just some basketball player. Why why do people mourn this so much? It's because people like him are larger than life, especially when you're kids. Kobe Bryant's not human when you're 12. He he's he's larger than life. He he's this this person that changes the way you operate every day if you're a young sports fan because everything you did, you would watch him and then you go out in the yard and you would become him. And he was this, And it's not just Kobe Bryant. It's a lot of athletes, but they are bigger than people. And so when their life is cut short from a random act at 41 years old, like this, it serves as such a harsh reminder of what reality is that, that our heroes are human, just like us. And, our lives are so fragile and can they can end and get cut short at a moment's notice unexpectedly and it's a reminder that we're human and being reminded that you're human is hard to swallow especially when it's somebody that you looked up to that you spent your life as again as a young sports fan becoming them you were them in the yard you you wore their jersey and you thought you were them and and Now that that is over, it reminds you the reality that life is, is fragile, um, that there is an end, and it's hard to grasp for some people. So days like this are really hard because the larger-than-life figure, the person that you became, that you idolize so much, is a human just like you, and that's yeah, hard I- to deal with.
1: I would say the larger than life aspect of it like if you were talking about a cookie cutter example of it at least for people in my I mean I say my age range I mean it's it's you too it's Kobe Bryant like I mean yeah how many how many how many times like have you heard so? I mean, how many times in middle school did you chunk something in the trash can and just scream Kobe because you're an obnoxious teenager? Like, Dude, that my was wife
0: like, does it. Like, yeah, I mean, she, that was the threw thing. A, a sock in the uh, laundry basket last week and yelled Kobe. And I was surprised because she's not a sports fan. I was like, wait, how do you know that? And that's just something that everybody did.
1: And people, I think, more so than other athletes, like, identified, like, you had the whole Mamba mentality thing, but. Like, that was something that I think people, like, applied to their lives, like, not just the whole basketball thing. Like, if you pulled basically just some power move or just, like, did something badass, like, I think people really related and identified to that. Because Kobe, like, as a basketball player, was just such, like, a, like, look, like, I'm not doing the Kobe-LeBron comparison, I promise, but, like, LeBron James, I'll probably argue Lauderdale is the most talented basketball player ever, like, does stuff no one's ever seen, but Kobe, like like he's not like a like i don't think a lebron is like this cold-blooded killer like kobe was like it felt like kobe was just going to try to rip your entire soul out i mean how he did it to the celtics like you know countless times did it to plenty of other teams but just like that like ferociousness is vicious it's like saying he's a ferocious or, you know tremendous competitor and all that it's so cliché but like the just like i think people really I, aligned and identified with the fact that he was like his competitive mindset and like the way he was just going to absolutely rip your heart out with some game winning shot or something like that. I think people really attach to that too more so because you don't really see that with a lot of other athletes. A lot of athletes are talented, but not all of them have that mentality. Is like, you know, I'm going to come for your neck at all times. And, you know, Kobe had that 24 seven. I think obviously what kind of really epitomizes that is the Matt Barnes thing where he, uh, you know, fake like he's going to hit him in the face of the ball. Kobe didn't even really flinch. Like, seemed like people really, really identified
0: with stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, really tough day. I, I mean, I, Unfortunately, I was in the car for most of it, so I didn't get to see the the, the coverage and everything. Apparently, ESPN two did a phenomenal job. Didn't go to a commercial break for four hours, uh, and, and I just...
1: probably watched two and a half hours of it. It really was. It took the, it took ESPN a minute, I think, to try to figure out what to do because Woj, I don't want to say late because that I, I, I have some thoughts about this in a minute, but like Woj put it out there a little bit after it had started floating out there. It was really the first mainstream guy. And then for a while it was interesting because I was on, I had it on the Pro Bowl and I, it was certainly not to watch the Pro Bowl. I thought they would do something about it, and then it just Booger and Tess kind of mentioned it, and then it they they flipped it to ESPN two, and after that, uh, Zubin I don't know his last name, and then I forget the other guy's name were on there for yeah pretty much nonstop for three and a half four hours out taking commercial break. You know they they had a bunch of guests on. They had I mean anyone from Gary Payton to. Yeah. Jerry West, or whoever they did a uh, really good job with it, but you know, there's no really right way to handle
0: days like that. But, no, there's uh, not. You just, I mean, you just have to go with what you feel, basically. As I understand it, I've never been in a television broadcast where that happens, but I, I was reading about it a little bit, and that's basically what you do. Is um, now you obviously can't plan for it, so you just you just go and hope that that your body takes over and, and does the right thing because you you just can't plan for something like that. Thought that was an interesting angle. Is that these two guys uh, that you have no preparation for that ever? I mean, you can work in in the business for forty years and never have a day like yesterday. So you just have to take over and, and hope that that you get it right. And based on what you said and everything, they they did a really good job, uh, which um which is good for um for for everybody involved. And you saw. Like the crowd that gathered outside of the Staples Center. And God knows, and you mentioned you wanted to talk about it, and so I guess this could be a segue, um, how real this is. But apparently, because the Grammys were going on yesterday, the crowd at the Staples Center was told to leave or disperse. Um, And if that is true, whoever told them that, uh, I mean, imagine living with yourself and sleeping at night.
1: Yeah, I just don't really know what you do about that. That's a tough deal. All you just around.
0: let them hang out there. That's what, that's what you do. I, nobody gives a shit about the Grammys. You, you let the people mourn outside of the Staples Center. Even if they're in the way, you inconvenience yourself to let them do that. That's what you do.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. I just, I guess when you have like a you know, multi million dollar, billion dollar, whatever the hell the Grammys cost to put on production, like it's probably a pretty weird deal. I would not want to be the person in, uh, in that position making that call. But uh, on the, I do have some thoughts on how this was covered largely. But first, we'll take a break. Tell you the podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue. Across from Coker, go see Greg. Baseball season's around the corner. He's got game packs. He's got daily specials, custom cuts. He'll give you whatever you need. It's best place in Mississippi to get meat. Um, like I said, baseball season coming around. Go get some sausages to grill up out in left, right field. He's got special packs. Lane Kiffin special six-ounce bacon wrap fillet. Keith Carter's special eight-ounce bacon rat fillet. I think I actually just said this backwards, so please flip-flop that in your brain. But you see Greg, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Probably have Greg on the end of this week, talk some Super Bowl, talk some meat, Super Bowl food, all kinds of stuff. Appreciate him sponsoring the show. But I, I do have some, like, the way this was covered, this was a largely pretty, I think, Matt Moscona, the, guy, the uh, Baton Rouge, I think he's Baton Rouge-based radio host, I pointed this out last night. I was like, yeah, as as sad as day this is, this is a pretty bad day for the journalism industry. The way this was covered from a number of different angles was good in some aspects and bad. People – I don't really know where to fall on this. People were upset at TMZ for leaking it, but then obviously someone connected to the Los Angeles County or whatever it was, the Sheriff's Department, Police Department – like leaked it to TMZ. So I don't necessarily, I didn't necessarily have as much of an issue as TMZ going with it, but like, then they went ahead and put, there was at least five other people on, or at least three other people on board. None of the daughters on board that didn't turn out to be true. And then I, it was interesting that the ABC report, I think is the one that epitomizes this, but I was, uh, after it all happened and we watched the initial shockwave, I was about to go out and get lunch. And, it was the first ESPN cut to a special ABC report, and it was – I don't even remember the guy's name. It was some random ABC reporter, but he just kind of insinuated that all like four of his daughters were on board the, the helicopter. And then, of course, I look at Twitter as I'm like waiting in the drive through on two minutes later, and everyone's taken that and ran with it as if it's true. And, of course, that didn't turn out to be true at all, and it's just like I don't understand how – like with particularly something like that, you don't really wait to figure out and make sure like how, how you go on national television and just like, like, I guess, flippantly, you know, toss the possibility of that out there. Uh, because he didn't even say it like for certain, he said it's just believed to be on board. And it's like, like he didn't cite anything. Like he just kind of threw that out there. That to me was wild. Cause then you had a whole 45 minutes worth of people trying to figure out what was true and what wasn't. And just like, like it just seems like in this day and age of social media and media companies are more concerned with being first and getting engagement and page views than being correct. And you know, days like, like Twitter and everything like that is not really built for days like yesterday and it was it was pretty rough to stomach some of it because it was just so much stuff out there and you didn't
0: actually know what was true and what wasn't. And the problem is it's always this way. The first report gets Five thousand retweets and twenty thousand likes, and then the correction gets a hundred retweets and two hundred likes. Nobody ever sees the correction. They will see that somebody because people do things throughout their day, right? So somebody was probably watching ESPN, saw that, had to go do something, and they believe that to be true until they find out later that it's wrong. It's that the irresponsibility of getting it wrong has a chronic effect because. Not everybody is locked into all of your coverage, especially when you do it like on social media, you know, because once you tweet out something, that exists in a completely separate world than your correct uh, correction when you get it wrong. And I uh, anyway. Um Yeah, the TMZ it's, thing.
1: Go ahead. It's a, Sorry. It's a two No, I'm just you're right, but it's a two-way street too cuz this is kind of where we are as like a journalism type industry is that like, you know, newspapers kind of hit the like newspapers used to be kind of like the backbone and like basis of like, you know, I mean, it was, I mean, like, like I don't think like watchdog journalism really exists very much either, but that's really what newspapers were. Like if you read a newspaper, it was obviously true. They took their time, they fact-checked it, they sourced it. But as newspapers have hit the crapper with technology and all of that, like, like these, these media companies, like basically kind of like, pour themselves out to social media because their business model now relies on it and they're so desperate for ad revenue and getting engagement and everything's based on engagement and page views that it's like like i'm not excusing the media outlet here but i also understand why it's happening it's like they're so tied and so reliant on social media to get engagement and page views it's just kind of the nature of the beast at this point because you know people aren't going up and you know, paying two ninety nine or whatever for a newspaper, having a subscription or something like that anymore. So, like, it, it's kind of a
0: two way street. Like, yeah, as, as they're being told stopped, to do this, it, it's right, not it's, like the, this reporter sat up there and just did it because uh, that's what he wanted to do. It's, it, I mean, I have a feeling, and maybe this is wrong. You can correct me if I'm wrong. That they are told now, any information, get it out there, and we'll correct it later. If you have information, publish it. Cite a source, but if you got it, just get it out there. And if we're wrong, we'll correct it. I swear that's what happens now.
1: It's just it's a difficult line to walk because, like, I I say all of that, but then I, and then it doesn't really add up for a gigantic corporation like ABC, who's obviously not hurting for money or hurting for page views. I just think people have gotten so in the habit of it. I mean, you see, I mean, you see it on a smaller scale now too. You have any asshole with a Twitter account like posting what he knows about a coaching search or whatever and it's just like nobody like the, the, you know 10 years ago there would have never been any way for someone like that to gain a platform and i'm kind of rambling and going all over the place no here, but, but it just, no
0: it's all tied together
1: yeah i mean it's just a rough i mean this it, it days like yesterday remind you like what a kind of like broken broken model the whole media model is at this point which which is a shame but then on the other end of things you have outlets like the los angeles times who Fortunately, have a big enough reach and a big enough audience. They don't really have to go off that at least yet. Like, I mean, some a a, a, a very rich doctor bought the Los Angeles Times a couple years ago. Kind of upped its staffing in some cases to double the sports department staffs. Really, just kind of has it because he likes having the power of a newspaper. Doesn't really care that he's taking a haircut financially. So, like, bigger play, bigger outlets like that, and it's a rarity. Washington Post is kind of this way. New York Post. Uh, It's a rarity. But like when you have support like that, you don't have to do things like that. And then you get pieces like, you know, I mean, if you go read the L.A. Times coverage yesterday, it was outstanding. Bill Plashke wrote something. Another columnist that is down there covering the Super Bowl wrote something about Kobe and his daughter's relationship. You had good news stories about it. You had the Lakers beat reporter like that as bad as some of the coverage was that like you you still have the other side of it and i guess you got to give credit where credit's due that the los angeles times did a phenomenal job of it uh if you want to go read any of that stuff they've actually removed the paywall on all of their kobe riot related stories but like i don't know like yesterday i was looking at it and seeing the the terrible side of it as well as as well as the good side because the la times did do a phenomenal job it's just other places and other outlets that are you know either trying to get things out first trying to get social media engagement you know Trying to aggregate whatever the hell the original report was is just the nastier side of it. But it was a confusing day because I, I myself was having trouble. I remember I was sifting through the internet and trying to figure out what was actually true and what wasn't and who wasn't on board and who wasn't. Hell, you didn't, it, 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 as much stuff was out there, you didn't know that there was actually nine bodies on board until the, the, the sheriff's department had the press conference and that guy just casually dropped that in there. And so, like, like you know, everyone I think believed it was five people until all of a sudden the sheriff was like, "No, actually, it's nine. And like that—that that had yeah. not been anywhere. It was just I don't know. Days like, like, like the the modern media model, particularly uh, online, is not built for days like yesterday, and it, it's a shame because it, it was rough trying to sift
0: through it. Absolutely, and the TMZ thing that that sheriff um, just ripped them apart, and and a lot of people are doing the same thing. I mean, if you look on Twitter, you, I mean. TMZ is being attacked mercilessly, and it, it's it's a two-way street, as you said, right? Because on one hand, the, the sheriff's pissed at TMZ, but he should be mad at somebody within their own department because the only reason that TMZ knew that happened is because somebody told them that it did. And as a news organization, when you are told and when you know that um, a person like him has died and you know that for sure— you report it. That's what you do. But also, as you mentioned, they got a detail wrong. They said he was survived by his wife and his four daughters. That, that actually, unfortunately and sadly, w- was not accurate. And so on one hand, they were given information. News outlets report information. They got the Kobe part of it correct. And so you cannot blame them. For reporting it before you told his family. Because somebody within your department told them first. It, the leaker's the asshole there. Not the media outlet. But they added information that was not accurate. And so they're both wrong here, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: And it's a unique situation because like, most of the time, like, if you have a, an accident or a homicide or something, I mean, just... I'll use Mississippi as an example. Just somewhere, like if there's something in Jackson or something like this happened on an average day, the the crime reporter for the Clarion Ledger is likely not like getting most of his information straight from the sheriff's department, might have a source or, or police department, might have a source or two in there, but normally is not even going to be able to get the information as to who it is until the next of kin are notified, and it's kind of appropriate to get it out there. But of course, when you have a celebrity like Kobe Bryant and somebody gets tipped off that it's Kobe Bryant and they're able to verify that it's actually him. Like I, I, I don't necessarily – I didn't necessarily – it, like it's weird to say I didn't have a problem with it. I, I didn't ha- – I was not as, uh, I guess, outraged, I, for the lack of a better phrase, that TMZ put it out there. But if you're going to put it out there, you need to be wholly accurate, and that was just not the case because obviously with, you know, his one of his daughters was on board Oh, they said at least three other people i guess that kind of leaves them some wiggle room but probably not the greatest ever i don't know it was just a mess but what a brutally brutally sad sad day and like i, I you know you're this is nowhere close to like over in terms of like what you're going to see from like the morning i, I imagine today will be even in some ways even more shocking i haven't turned on the television yet today but uh, i you know I, this seems like it will go on for you know, a couple of weeks and then you have the the Lakers and the Clippers set to play a game, I believe Tuesday, Tuesday night, and you know, I, I imagine they play the game. But like that, that will be a, a a scene and a sight in and of itself. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I literally, I, I, I just, I go back to the fact that like when I originally saw it, I just just like talked myself into it. Someone being hacked, like I just
0: didn't, I couldn't believe it. I didn't really want to. Yeah, same here. I, I thought it was along the same lines of what happened to the Bears. Uh, I, I'm. That was my first thought um, and who uh, you, and you see it and you're going to continue to see it. But the the amount of people that uh, were inspired by him in one way or another and uh, just the hurt they have today. It's um, it's a hard day. And uh, I mean, he a- enters in a list of uh, of athletes that were uh, I mean, maybe not in the prime of their career, but w- were taken away too soon and. It's just sad. I mean, I, I'm I'm looking but at this Twitter right really... now, and it, a show that I follow is um it got a picture of, of Steve McNair on their rundown, uh, being somebody that was differently, but taken away too soon. And th- that's the kind of stuff that you're going to see for the next few days is um memorials and then reminders that, that he. This is sadly not a unique situation at all.
1: Yeah, because this is like I, – I, I was trying to c- find a comparable case in terms of like a, a tragedy happening like this, but I can't. Like it, it's – like Steve McNair's kind of one, but he was a little further outside of football at that point and was not still very much in the public eye. Like I, I'm not a NASCAR guy, but Dale Earnhardt came to mind. But I don't really – I was pretty young when that happened. I don't really remember. Yeah,
0: that. this – that's probably the best comparison that you can find because he – I mean he was, was – Three years
1: out of the NBA and still very much in the public eye. Like it, it I mean, he was seen at Laker games. I mean, he trained LeBron, with Trey Young
0: this summer. I mean, that's Trey Young spent his summer working with Kobe.
1: Yeah, and it's just a, it's a eerie and very ominous. To it was like going like LeBron passing Kobe on the all-time scoring list on Saturday night in Philadelphia, where Kobe Bryant is essentially from, and then watching those clips play back like LeBron who I don't always think is like, like I get the sense every, a lot of times when LeBron talks that it's not genuine and he's very calculated, but like last on Saturday night, when he got asked a question about Kobe Bryant and passing him, he spoke seemingly like I, I felt it was very genuine for like four or five minutes, just kind of off the cuff about, you know, learning like meeting Kobe for the first time and all of that. And just seeing that played back 12 hours later, you know, him having knowing, obviously having no idea this would happen was uh was was pretty pretty like it was it was cool in some ways but also just very very eerie and very sad but i yeah i don't know i I don't even know like i don't have a ton a ton else to say on it it's just it's it's unbelievably sad but i mean it's interesting because he was kind of a complicated athlete in the sense like people keep using that word and like complicated is like a very broad word that you can cover a lot of bases with but like he was flawed. I mean, he had, you know, he comes up, they have the three-peat, he's great. He uh, he has the, the the rape case that was ultimately dismissed. Uh, obviously, he, he paid an undisclosed settlement in a civil suit, but all criminal charges were dropped against him. And, you know, I, I wouldn't actually, I was seven, eight, I think seven or eight years old when that was going on. I think it was 02, 03. I don't remember a ton about that. I, I read some details from it yesterday just out of curiosity and, like, all of that aside and everything else, I mean, in some ways, like the flawed nature of Kobe and then seeing him kind of, I guess, shape up and turn into a pretty good, seemingly a good person and a good father, you know, despite mistakes in the past. And I'm not glossing over something as serious as that. I just, I wasn't old enough to remember that when it happened. But I think people related to him in some ways in that sense, it's like, like, it wasn't always like good with Kobe Bryant. Whether it was his off the court stuff or the injuries, you kind of saw the good and the bad to where you haven't like like with someone like LeBron James, like you haven't really seen a ton of bad. So I think this made people relate to him on a more personal level too. Is like you've seen him really, really struggle. You've seen him blow out his Achilles. You know, you saw Shaq leave him and then he struggled after that. You saw the struggles in the beginning. And then you also saw how great he was, you know, in the five titles and going back to back towards the end of his career. Like he, he seemed a lot of athletes that have flaws, I think, relate to people more just because, you know, every, I mean, it, it, it's more like, I guess, humanizing. And, and I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I just think people relate to him more because he was kind of a flawed and complicated guy.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and maybe some people are, I guess, glossing over th- that accusation. But, uh, but at the same time, I saw a blue check mark sports writer say that the, um, celebration of kobe and the the glossing over of that is um a perfect example of the the modern day rape culture and um it's let me see if i can say this correctly because the charges were dropped and the case was settled we don't know for sure what happened so to just openly can see that the accusation was true and we should talk about it as if it was i think that is irresponsible at best
1: yeah i mean and there's a time and a place to remember it because i mean it is and when i mean when Ultimately, you do need to remember someone wholly for the good and the bad uh, aspects of them. But
0: what if it wasn't bad? You know? I mean, what if it was, and I don't know, what, what if it was somebody just trying to get money from an athlete that they slept with? What if it was I don't know. And that's probably really bad to say out loud, but I just I don't know if you should spend that much time today talking about that when the details don't exist.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I yeah, and just the I guess that happening right in the you know 2 hours after the helicopter hits the ground like, like it seems like there's a time and a place for that and just I guess harping on that in the immediate aftermath feels a little bit cruel but again it's it is part of his story so it, I don't know, a lot of delicate angles to this. But just tough day overall. I mean I I was reading a bunch about Kobe that I didn't know yesterday. You know, he spoke like five different languages. I didn't know he spent a lot of his childhood in Italy while his dad played professionally. And then he was literally just named after Kobe Beef. Were you aware of this? No way. His family really just enjoyed Kobe Beef from Japan. So he was. Uh, that, that's where he got his name <laughs> from <laughs> Kobe Beef. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> funny. Yeah, but uh, smart dude. I mean, how the guy was a year out of basketball, wrote a children's book that he turned into a short film and won an Oscar. Like, I don't know how many, I, they're probably. Only you know a handful of people on earth that can do that, dude was talented in a lot of different ways and you know, uh-huh. him not getting to show, up, but i do it was interesting the la- the and i'm not even i don't have I mean you have a son i don't have a- i don't have kids i'm not married, but the lasting image of Kobe still in my mind like the last one I have is like him he he what, he did seem to always be with his kids with his daughter you know the last two to three years, which I think created a fond parting image of him. Uh, and I, I did see some people that that are parents and have kids that I know being able to relate to that yesterday too. Uh, seemed like a pretty good dad. Obviously, it, the kind of sad nature of them going to a basketball game, uh, his daughter's basketball game, when that happened. But uh, definitely seemed in the last two years to be a pretty committed and uh, and and devoted dad, which I, th- I think a lot of people remember him fondly for. But yeah, I don't really know what else I can say. I mean, it it sucks. It's a sad day. Like when you one of your childhood figures that were kind of a staple of your sports memories is, is gone far, far too soon. But I, I just, I don't have much more I can add that hasn't already been added. I'd encourage you to go read Los Angeles times, whatever, everything um, coverage wise that, that kind of remembers him. Cause I, I did a bunch of that yesterday and it was, uh, it it was cool to kind of, I guess, reflect on things i both, I did and did not know about the guy.
0: Yeah. Bill Plaschke, uh, who's a, panelist on around the horn so you you're probably familiar with his name maybe not so much as work if you're out there listening um has a column that's worth reading
1: absolutely Dylan Hernandez I read one from yesterday afternoon as well I had one another sports column is there all kinds of good stuff but yeah tough tough day elsewhere uh basketball wise we did have some uh, <laughs> some local news this weekend Ole Miss won its first basketball game of the uh of, or excuse me, first SEC game of the 2020 season on Saturday a 70 to 60 win at Georgia. You know, I, I my initial thoughts are probably can't get too caught up in this because Georgia's not very good, but at the same time, I, I think that team that team hadn't won a game in a long time. I mean, they hadn't won a game in the calendar year of I mean, 2020. Like it, it's, it, it felt like it was a good day for them and, and kind of to get that monkey off their back and finally get on the right track. I imagine it was just a giant collective exhale in the locker room. Uh, I watched most of this. I was not in a place uh, that was like riding conducive when I was watching this, but I did pay pretty close attention to this game and watched, I would say, the majority of it. I, my main takeaway is George is not very good, and Ole Miss finally kind of got the supplementary offense uh, around Bree and Tyree and looked a, just a lot more coherent on that end. But a lot of, I think some of that was also George's. Not very good defensively, but overall, I thought a pretty good win for them. you know i I don't know i I see them continuing to struggle. I think they have too many flaws. I don't think they're good enough defensively. I don't necessarily buy that this offense is going to be sustainable, but for a day, if nothing else they they looked a lot better and they they played like it, and I think an important win for Kermit Davis and them just to kind of collectively exhale for a bit.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see it to believe it, right? I mean, if if this is just a flash in the pan or this is something that they can do moving forward. However, it was nice. I mean, you mentioned Georgia's not very good. Well, Texas A&M is atrocious, and uh, they still had a stagnant offense that ran through one player and one player only. It was nice to see if only for a game uh, them move the basketball a little bit and create good looks and opportunities for multiple guys, and DMC stayed out of foul trouble, and... Uh, produced. Uh, I mean, still just not very strong on the block, especially defensively. He's just not. Um, And as you said a few weeks ago, and and I paid more attention to it, does not set a very strong screen. I mean, he's just, he's kind of, I don't want to say soft, but kind of plays a little soft. Um, uh, But they distributed the basketball. It didn't stick with one player. And that's why you had an efficient offensive production night, because ball movement uh, good sets, good uh, shot selection. Georgia's not very good, but, I mean, holy shit, it's it's about time that they move the basketball a little bit and create shots for other people. And on top of that, um, the four-guard lineup is, as you texted me, that's what they need to roll with moving forward. It's, I mean, even if you don't start the game that way, if C or Buffen get into some foul trouble, just throw Bryce Williams in there and run four guards at people because that's your best way at scoring. Your best opportunity to score and win games is to run that kind of small ball, if you want to call it, uh, lineup. When either one of your bigs gets in foul trouble early, just roll with it because I don't think they're going to change the starting lineup. But once the course of the game goes on, run four guard lineups, and that's your best chance at scoring and winning games.
1: Yeah, and the small ball lineup you're referring to is is Shuler, Tyree, Williams, and then you either have Henson or Buffin, and then C, or you could go, I guess, really small and do the the Henson Buffin together type of thing that they tried at the beginning of the year to do, but it just didn't really work, and it's tougher to do without Luis Rodriguez. But they did have some success with it on Saturday, and I agree. I think you just need to ho- you need to kind of go with that and just kind of accept your defensive limitations on that end. But C had, 16 points on six of 12 shooting. I think he grabbed what four total rebounds. Ole Miss only turned it over thirteen times as a team. You had fourteen from KJ Buffin. Like that's what you're going to need from the combination: Henson, Schuler, Buffin, and C. Two of those four in any given game are going to need to be in the you know fifteen to seventeen point range, give or take a couple points. And not only that, they're going to just have they you have to play well on both ends as well. Like they're going to have to score pretty well, I and mean, they're going to have to score in that range. And then they're going to have to at least be competent enough defensively. I mean, I know they won the game by ten points, but Buffin Henson posted a plus minus of positive seventeen, uh, and Buffin had 14. Those are the two highest, other than Bree and Tyree. Like you're going to need those kind of minutes from those guys. Buffin kind of finally got it going after really just looking lost for about a month and a half. You know, he had some spurts in there where he played okay, but you know, Saturday I thought was his best com- collective game since probably the beginning of the season Uh, kermit davis may agree may disagree but certainly a much needed win on the other end of it georgia is uh georgia's pretty rough they have a lottery pick and a bunch of players around him that just aren't very good i wasn't really impressed with edwards either uh too much i mean he scored 13 he was 3 of 12 shooting that's the third game in a row i've watched georgia i watched them play state some and then i watched the kentucky game uh he has been i I think he'll be a pretty good nba player i get why he's nba prospect but he has not been that impressive. And then Georgia, everywhere around him, was just awful. I mean, they they were 17 of 55 from the field with 16 turnovers. Like, they, they're they just not good. And it's kind of ironic because Crean threw those dudes under the bus last year saying, like, remember, this is the talent I'm working with or whatever. Well, now he's got a lottery pick at a bunch of his dudes in there, and they still
0: suck. Yeah, maybe there's a reason he's not the coach at Indiana anymore. Uh, if people keep telling me that Anthony Edwards is an NBA player. And, and man, maybe he is, but – I have now watched a lot of NBA, especially you know the last seven years. But the last three years or so, I've really gotten locked into it, and I don't see it. Uh, the, and the NBA takes such a special and unique player. And when I watch this dude, I see talent, but I don't see a guy that can actually get minutes on the floor in the NBA. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see that at all when I watch this dude play. I see a good player. I mean, maybe he'll... Uh, you know, hang around the g league for a while or be on the end of somebody's bench. But if you're telling me that guy is going to get minutes in the NBA, I'm not buying that. I don't see it. Maybe I'm probably wrong. I just don't see it when I watch this dude play.
1: yeah, I, I think he can play in the NBA, but the it, it I think it's a fairly weak draft, as is. and. Like a
0: terrible draft.
1: Yeah, in a normal year, I don't like he like the fact that he's a lottery pick and probably going to be a top three to four pick unless something changes between now and then. It both underlines what a weak draft it is. And to your point, I I don't necessarily see that e- either. I do just think his raw athleticism and his frame. I think he could contribute in an NBA rotation for a while, but I don't see him being an impact player in the NBA either. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just don't see it either. He looks lost sometimes defensively. He didn't he shoot
0: well enough, for one, he, to me.
1: Yeah, and, there's no, and he doesn't take – like, he can't – like, there was never a point in that game where I thought, okay, this guy's going to put – is not shooting well. This guy's going to put his head down and go to the rim, and there's not going to be anything Ole Miss can do about it. And that was kind of the same thing in Kentucky and State's game that I watched against him. Like, there was never a point where you felt like he was going to put his head down and go get a basket, and there wasn't really all, much Ole Miss could do about it. And, like, that, that's the kind of stuff you see from guys – that are lo- projected lottery picks. That's he what took you kind of see. from two shots and James that were not oh, Anthony. Threes. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Two. Exactly.
0: He's a and six foot five guard, and nobody on Ole Miss can defend him. And he settled for te- 10 of his 12 shots were three pointers.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that kind of underscores that I said better than anything. I mean, you're, you're right. I, I, I don't get it. I don't see it. Maybe that changes when he gets into an NBA organization. I don't know. But I, yeah, I, I just didn't see it. He didn't really. Like if I, I I was sitting there watching it, trying to watch it from Ole Miss's point of view. Like if I'm coaching against this guy, like what am I afraid of? And I, the conclusion I came up with it, about 25 minutes in that game was not really not really a whole lot. Like he 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 didn't seem to make more of an impact than any of the other guys they had out there. At least not too much more. But Georgia, bad team. Ole Miss gets a gets a much needed win because as I mentioned on Friday, like I mean, 0 and 8 was was probable if if not. A given if they didn't win this one, they have a home game against Auburn uh, this Tuesday, I believe, maybe Wednesday. I'll double-check real quick, before a return trip to LSU on Saturday. And So they weren't going to get this win. It, it was going to get squirrely for these guys in a hurdy. And what's interesting, as bad as the field is this year, if you're Ole Miss and you hang on to LSU, A&M, Arkansas, if you hang on to two of those three, And don't you know? Don't kind of blow the lead. I mean, you're sitting there at what? I mean, you're three and two in the league instead of one and five.
0: And you have a real shot.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're what? That's twelve and seven. Yeah, I mean, you're twelve and seven, three and two, and you have a real shot at this thing. I, I, you know, I guess if they went on some crazy streak over the next couple, if you somehow managed to go two and zero this week with a pair of home games next week, I guess you could start making an outside case for maybe they'll make a push, but obviously I don't see that happening. I actually think they'll lose both of these games this week. Uh, Yeah, Auburn, 8 o'clock Tuesday night. LSU on the road Saturday at 11. But, I mean, I guess if you were to somehow win both those games, you could kind of make a case that you could get on a run because you have three home games in a row after that. But I don't necessarily see it. I think Saturday was more of a product of them beating a bad team. But I, I guess I'm just saying that to illustrate, like, they were a couple blown games away from him, as bad as they played and as bad as they looked is still actually kind of being in the thick of things here. So good win for them Saturday. They, they certainly needed it. And, uh, we'll kind of see how that translate to Auburn on, uh, on Tuesday night, who is a very good team, but also has looked very vulnerable at times, pretty much like every other team in college hoops, uh, elsewhere. I guess we'll get to baseball before we get out of here. Cause we did have availability on Friday. Uh, Oh, uh, But I would like to remind you one more time, go to LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. I was at Swayze on Friday. It was your classic 45-degree college baseball weather. Uh, So, Go go get all your grilling stuff out of the way for games this year. Greg can help you with game packs, sausages, whatever you need. Uh, He feeds the baseball team. He can feed you going to the baseball team. Go see LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. That said, Ole Miss had – its first availability they had their first official practice on Friday and then they had inter squads over the weekend we talked to John Rice Plumley, Doug Nikhazy and who else do we talk to I don't know we had the video up at super talk to that I was there I for the availability I just (laughs) it's slipping my mind to the third person we talked to oh Anthony's for video I don't know how I missed that uh was the other guy we talked to so is Uh, the team going to Omaha I'll, uh, I've got three main takeaways here from Friday's availability. I hope one, one of them is going to Omaha. One of them is Mike Bianco has a beard. He is apparently a beard guy now. All uh, right. For someone, I don't feel comfortable judging or grading his beard for someone that's been working on the same one since 95. Uh, I'm not prone to grow one, but uh, it, it was a very nice beard. does have some gray in it. but uh, Yeah, I, I guess he's a beard guy now. I guess he's changing all kinds of stuff. Last year, they were loosening up having fun this year he's a beard guy will we see a Fu Manchu will we see a handlebar stash I don't know I uh, <laughs> I was not privy to ask him these questions in January but he is a beard guy Second wouldn't
0: January be the best time to ask him those questions though before any losses start happening uh
1: I'm, if they beat a Louisville 11 to 2 on Friday I'll probably ask him something about the beard opening day aside from that I'm probably just going to keep that in the holster but Second observation, uh, Doug NickKze has been refining his slider, he says all of the offseason. I think you're going to see a lot more of that, which will uh, very fastball change up uh, curveball heavy, I guess, uh, you could say last year, but uh, he, he said he's been working on the slider a lot more, and you'll see that a lot more this Friday uh, or on Friday nights this season. Uh, it's interesting is interesting because he he's a very good college pitcher. He, uh, I think he would have I, I think he'll have a shot. Uh, at the next level but he doesn't really project to the next level like someone like a Gunnar Hoagland or someone did out of high school or Ryan Rollison just stuff wise and it's going to be interesting to see him going up against a bunch of guys that are going to be on those projections on Friday nights in the SEC because the league is as loaded as as I've ever seen it and I know you feel like if you listen if you keep up with college baseball you feel like people say that every year, but, but it, it, it's very much the case this year. I mean, I, I think you could have competent NCA tournament worthy teams in this conference, particularly in the West, fall 10 and 20 or 12 and 18 or something like that. Like, I mean, the league is loaded. It's going to be interesting to see because uh, you, you see a lot of guys flourish in the Saturday role. I mean, I, I, you could go on and on. Christian Trent, Ryan Rollison, I guess he was Sunday, sometimes Saturday. Uh, until his uh, sophomore year, but freshman year, you see a lot of guys flourish in that role. But it, it's a whole different animal when you are the guy on Friday nights in the SEC. I guess Will Etheridge falls in that category as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he kind of transitioned in that role, you know, being the guy going up against elite level arm talent week in and week out on Friday nights the SEC. You know, I mean, pitching in the manner knowing it's going to be a low-scoring game and you're probably going to win it on your shoulders type of deal um it's always interesting to me to see how guys adjust to that role uh third note i had anthony servideo back at shortstop i mean that's not really a surprise there but says he's enjoyed it uh someone someone asked him to project the outfield and he couldn't either i think that's a wide open deal uh really aside from that that's all i had i mean plumbly you didn't say anything about omaha no, no one said anything about Omaha. I don't even think they got a question no, about you, Omaha.
0: No, you, though. You didn't say anything about Omaha. When you watched this team one time, did you see an Omaha team? I, I, I'm i going to need to see them play one game before making some okay. kind of – All right, we'll wait till after the first game, and then we will determine whether or not it's an Omaha team. That sounds fair. They,
1: uh, they had a great BP session in the 25 minutes I was out there, if that tells you anything.
0: So You, you know, know what's going to suck, though, honestly? like Say they get swept by Louisville, but you're already going to have – people clamoring and acting insane when louisville is the best team of the country and as you mentioned a lot of moving parts a lot of young guys it's very possible they get swept by louisville and are still a good baseball team when the season ends but you will have and you'll have to deal with it more than i will i mean and one of the few times i'm glad i don't actually get to go cover teams um, is when shit like this happens if they get swept by louisville i feel bad for your twitter mentions
1: yeah, I pretty much just, uh, I pretty much have had those off for a, quite a while, but uh, I, I, I do get your point that, yeah, I, I think the overreaction always- will be insane.
0: And it, it shouldn't be because, as you've said, moving parts, young team, it's going to take some time for them to settle into their roles and figure out who they are. And playing Louisville in week one just doesn't help that fact. And yet people are still going to lose their shit because Dan McDonald came into Oxford and beat Mike Bianco. And that's just not fair, but that's what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, and I guess the example to caution against that is you remember in, in 17 when all those freshmen came in, they went, I think, 6-0 and against a top 15 East Carolina team and then a top 25. Uh, UNC-Wilmington team and struggling mightily after that. To your point, I don't think any series in January is going to make any sweeping determinations about this club. But it, it is going to be interesting because I, I do think, look, if they hit, I think they'll have a good chance to compete with just about anyone in the SEC because I do I do like what they have on the mound. I do like what they have in the bullpen. I think if they can get a couple of these freshman arms to contribute as well, you know, Derek Diamond can kind of fill in and be competent on Sundays they've got some intriguing bullpen options but the, you know if 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 they struggle to score runs out of the gate i think it's going to be a long year because the league is as stacked pitching and position player wise like i said as it's been in, in a long time and you have a ton of newcomers and some of them are older juco guys so it may be a little bit different but you know the last time there was a lot of new faces on this team and a lot of young talent, a young talent, they really did struggle in 17. So I, I think there's a chance they struggle. Uh, but you know, I, I guess if, if they hit and you have you know, the Tim Elkos and Kel Bakers of the world and Leatherwood, Dunhurst, whatever, if you could kind of form a formidable lineup around Tyler Keenan in, in the middle, uh, I think they'll have a chance with anyone. But again, that's, that's easier said than done because SEC pitching and this level of SEC pitching
0: is going to be a, uh, a whole
1: different beast for a lot of these guys.
0: For sure. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. I I don't like baseball, but I enjoy college baseball in this state. I really do. For some reason, like I cannot watch a college baseball game that doesn't feature one of the two teams that we have to cover on a daily basis on the radio. I, I can't do it. I try. I really try. And I just can't do it. But when it's one of them, I sit and watch it and enjoy it. It doesn't make any sense. I, but I'm looking forward to it, and we'll cover it, and you'll know a hell of a lot more about it than I will, so I'll just kind of you know, be here for you to bounce shit off of most of the season. But I'm still looking forward to it.
1: The, yeah, I, uh, I'm i kind of in the same – well, I enjoy covering baseball. It's my favorite sport to cover. I think it's easy. I think it's enjoyable. Uh, now, do I always enjoy four-hour college baseball games on a you know, Friday night in March? Not exactly, but SEC baseball is, is enjoyable to cover. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it. I'm glad baseball season is coming around. I, I enjoy it. It'll be interesting to – you know, there's a lot of interesting storylines on this team that we'll have plenty of time to get to, and uh, it will be an interesting team because uh, the expectation levels are drastically different than they've been the last two years. But, you know, the, the ceiling and floor with this team, I would say, is so wide that they will be a fascinating group to cover. Uh, we were going to do a baseball-centric and heavy show today, but obviously I think the Kobe Bryant news – kind of threw a wrench in that, so I'll work on getting one of the D1 guys on Wednesday. We'll probably do a pretty baseball-heavy show then. I'll probably have some written content out this week. And then Friday will be Millback Friday. I'm sure it'll be very Super Bowl-focused. We'll get into that some on Wednesday as well because it is Super Bowl week. We'll have the final game of the season this Sunday. We'll have the final football, LBs pick them, all kinds of stuff. So uh, a lot of baseball ahead, a lot of time to discuss it. We'll have some football at the end of this week too. But uh, unless you got anything else, I'm going to get out of here. That's it, man. Cool. Well, for Michael Borky, I'm Brian Scott Rippy. If you liked what you heard today, like and subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. Rate and review the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate you guys listening. And like I said, baseball-centric probably on Wednesday. We'll uh, get into football on Friday. But uh, big week ahead looking forward to it. We appreciate you guys listening, and have a great Monday.